0: Matthew 28, verses 1 through 20. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. And that is the Word of God. A number of years ago, the Chicago Tribune ran a shocking story just around Mother's Day a 27-year-old factory worker named Michael Murray decided to take his 2-year-old girl and his 3-month-old son to the local hospital. Michael's wife worked there as a nurse, and she was pleasantly surprised when her husband and kids showed up with a gold necklace bearing the words, Number One Mom, along with a single rose. After giving her the gifts... Dad carried his two children back into the indoor garage where they had parked. He strapped both children into their car seats, but upon buckling up his daughter into the rear of the car, he forgot that little Matthew was still on the sunroof, and he began to drive off. The garage was dark, but soon he emerged onto the streets of Massachusetts. Although it was noon and traffic was heavy, no one seemed to indicate that anything was wrong. No one honked. Soon he accelerated onto the highway, Interstate 290, and he began to drive at 50 miles per hour. And that's when he suddenly heard a scraping sound on the roof of his car. Michael said, you could hear a slide. I looked to where he should have been, and then in horror, I looked at the rearview mirror. I saw him sliding down the highway. To his horror, Michael's son was tumbling down the interstate with cars approaching in full highway speed. Now, if you pay attention to the rest of my sermon, I'll tell you how this story ends. <laughs> but for now, I think everyone here is able to empathize with the father's horror at the moment he saw his son on the highway. You know, as Christians, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is the most victorious day of the year, because it comes three days after the most horrific day in human history. 2,000 years ago, on Good Friday, God the Father watched in horror as his only begotten Son died an excruciating death on the cross for humanity's sins. How deep the Father's love. How deep the Father's pain and how deep the Father's joy today as he watches all of us and Christians all around the world worship his Son, all of, it, all of which is possible because of his Son's sacrifice on a bloody Roman cross. <laughs> now, for those of you who've always wondered why Christians worship on Sunday when the Jews till this very day, observe their Sabbath on Saturday, the answer is actually found in verse 1 of today's text. There is a profound theological reason as to why we convene on Sundays. Christians from the time of the apostles in the book of Acts until today have gathered on Sundays to worship God because of Christ's resurrection. We are not Jewish. We are not Seventh-day Adventists. We are Christians. And because our Lord and Savior resurrected on the first day of the week, our day of worship and rest has always, for 2,000 years, been Sunday. The designation of Sunday as the Christian's Day for worship was not created by some ancient human council, as we see in Da Vinci Code movies and such, nor was it ordained by a Roman emperor, as some skeptics would like to assert. Rather, the designation was put in place by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the New Testament repeatedly affirms that the early church met on Sundays to worship and break bread together. Breaking bread often connoting communion, which we will take today. In fact, The resurrection of Jesus Christ was so significant that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle John labels Sunday as the Lord's Day. And that is where we get that phrase. We are gathered today on the Lord's Day. Hence, every Sunday is a sort of Easter Sunday worthy of celebration for every Christian believer. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was the apex of human history. And as such, it altered the fourth commandment. It just boggles my mind that the resurrection would actually do that. But it did. Recently, I was doing some research and I stumbled upon the papers of John Jay at Columbia University's Founding Fathers collection. And if you know who John Jay was, John Jay was not just a member of the Continental Congress and a governor of New York, but he was also the first chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. And while reading his work, I was not only impressed by his brilliant legal mind, but I was also blown away by his grasp of the Holy Scriptures. In his writings, he would seemingly flow effortlessly from biblical statutes To his present-day societal implications, back and forth effortlessly, this man had a command of both fields. And the Chief Justice's papers once again renewed my gratitude for our country's rich spiritual heritage. There is a reason why, till this day, the President of the United States swears in on the Bible. And it made me wish that our present-day leaders could also have such a firm grasp of Scripture. Now, in writing to a friend, Chief Justice John Jay wrote this, There are several divine positive ordinances and institutions at very early periods. Some of them were of limited obligation. As circumcision, others of them were universal obligation, as the Sabbath, marriage, sacrifices, the particular punishment for murder. The Lord of Sabbath caused the day to be changed. The ordinances of Moses suffered the Israelites to exercise more than the original liberty allowed in marriage, but our Savior repealed that indulgence. When sacrifices had answered their purposes as types of the great sacrifice, etc., they ceased. The punishment for murder has undergone no alteration, either by Moses or by Christ." End quote. So here, Chief Justice John Jay concludes that Jesus changed three things. Number one, he changed the fourth commandment so that as Christians we no longer worship on Saturdays, as do the Jews. Number two, he changed Moses' marriage law so that remarriage would no longer be allowed after divorce. And number three, He ended the practice of sacrificing animals because he himself would be the final and ultimate sacrifice. Chief Justice Jay was correct in all three conclusions. But let that sink in for a moment. That's how critical the resurrection of Christ is for all of us here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was so monumental that it changed One of the Ten Commandments. Nine of the ten still remain in full force for all of us here today. And as Chief Justice Jay said, the Fourth Commandment changed because of the Lord of the Sabbath, the resurrected Savior himself. Now for those of us who are here, we kind of resonate that only to a certain degree. America has changed a great deal. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. To the chagrin of many. But Christians all over the world are worshiping in churches on Sunday because of the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. In many states, blue laws are still in effect. You can't sell a car in Chicago, Maryland, New Jersey on Sunday. Most states don't allow the selling of alcohol on Sunday. Our roots are still visible. But if Jesus historically resurrected from the dead then the day of worship should not be the only thing to change. Indeed, our very lives ought to change. Amen? Of course, you can think that the story about Jesus coming back from the dead is one giant hoax. And if that's what you believe, then go ahead. Continue living any way you please. But if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact, then, oh my, everything must change, beginning with our lives. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, in 1990, there was a spectacular archaeological dis- discovery in Israel. While working, working on widening a wide road in Jerusalem's Peace Forest. Diggers accidentally came upon an unusually large burial site. It took two years to confirm, but by August of 1992, researchers were certain that they had discovered the family tomb of Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest who condemned Jesus to death during his Sanhedrin trial and delivered him over to the Romans to be crucified. Now, if you were here for the sunrise service, I shared with you that Prior to Jesus, the sun even rising, Jesus had gone th- through three Jewish trials. And by the time he was crucified on Good Friday, he had gone through six trials, through three Jewish and three Roman. Caiaphas, the high priest who infamously tore his robes at Jesus' trial when Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God, his bones have now been discovered. Time after time, archaeology has proven the biblical record to be historically accurate. And of course, if the biblical record is accurate, then the bones of Jesus will never be discovered. Why? Because he's currently sitting on the right hand of Almighty God, ready and prepared to come back again. Rest assured, friends, that this Easter we are not following some cleverly devised myth. Earlier I said that if the resurrection of Christ was an actual historical event, there ought to be more change than just the day in which we worship. And in today's text, we see two groups of people, two roads, if you will. One group had faith in the resurrection of Christ And the other group doubted the resurrection of Christ, but the similarity was that they both saw the resurrected Jesus. And the question that I want all of you to ask yourselves as you leave this morning is which group do I fall into? Who do you say that Jesus is? It doesn't matter what your parents said or your relatives said. Who do you say Jesus is? And that's what's going to matter for eternity. And where do I get these two groups from? Read verse 17 of today's text with me. It's right here in your bulletin. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Two groups of people. And throughout history, people have fallen into these two categories. When it comes to heaven or hell, there is no middle ground. You're either in or you're out. There is no purgatory. And in verse 8, the Bible tells us that the women who saw Jesus on that very first Easter Sunday believed, and so they ran with great joy and told others about Jesus. And 2,000 years later, isn't that the same reaction for believers All over the world, we are doing the same two things. We are filled with great joy, and we are telling others about Jesus Christ. Or at least, we ought to be. Conversely, in verse 15, we see soldiers who, like the women, witnessed the resurrection. But, instead, they took the path of money, temporary riches, To silence them. To keep them quiet. It's a temporary path, but that's the path they chose. So the question again for you this morning, which path are you currently on? Is the resurrection true for you? You see, through his resurrection, Jesus proved that he was indeed God. He proved that he was divine and that all authority was given to him by God the Father. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you're a believer in the resurrection, then your life ought to be centered around verses 19 and 20, because that is the first utilization of Jesus' authority post-resurrection. It is a special type of authority that he is granted. Jesus says in verse 18, all authority is now given unto me. And it is his first utilization of this newfound authority. Now, as an officer in the United States Air Force, I was taught the value of my commission. However, as a Christian soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I have an even higher commission. It's called the Great Commission, and it's found in today's text, starting with the 19th verse. Go, therefore... This is the King of Kings speaking. He, he orders a commission. And he says to all of us sitting here today, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always at the end of the age. I love the fact that Jesus promises his presence if we go out and do the dangerous task of sharing the gospel. Isn't that an amazing thing? Friends, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did occur, and if Jesus really is God, then like the woman on that very first Easter Sunday, you and I will finally answer life's Three biggest questions. Now, of course, there are more, but the, for the sake of a sermon, I made it three. Nice and neat. Number one, the question of existence. Number two, the question of significance. And number three, the question of purpose or intention. Or put it in simpler terms why am I here? Does my life really matter? And what is the purpose of my life? It doesn't matter how large a family you have, what kind of pedigree you come from, how much money you make, or whether or not you even attend church. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, then everything you do is absolutely aimless and happiness will always be evasive. No matter how many new toys you buy, or how many relationships you get into. Even Thomas Jefferson knew that, and that's why he didn't write The Attainment of Happiness. Instead, he famously wrote The Pursuit of Happiness. As human beings, we are in pursuit. Easter is personally meaningful for me. As a junior in college, I found myself in a deep spiritual valley, struggling to to believe the Bible. The resurrection seemed like a myth. And it was the historicity of the resurrection that brought me back to faith. Afterwards, the the truth became so valuable to me that I even named my second daughter after her, truth. And The resurrection compelled me to realign life's objectives, It changed the trajectory of my life, and it gave me a laser-like focus on a goal, and that is why I'm up here sharing the gospel with you. But the story is far from over for all of us, and we are excited to see what the next chapter holds. Why? Not because I know what the future holds, but because I know who holds the future. Friend, I am no one special. My bosses could tell you that. Jesus loves you too. He does. And He wants to guide you through this life. Will you let Him? It all starts with simple faith in the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Four simple points. Number one, there is a holy God, a God of perfection, a God of justice, a God of love. But at the same time, He is a God of justice. Number two, all of us are sinners. We're all sinners, we're born sinners. And as such, we deserve hell. But number three, the good news, the great news, the news of Easter is that God loved the world so much, he sent his only son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He died on the cross for your sins. And three days later, he historically, not mythically, rose again from the dead. So that if you, number four, repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior, you will, and I guarantee you this, on the authority of God's word, you will have eternal life. There's nothing more precious than that. Amen? the moment you believe in that gospel, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years, the moment you believe in that gospel, you become a Christian. And Easter takes a significantly new meaning for you. Now back to the story of the baby on the highway. I promised you that would finish the story, right? Thankfully, the car approaching Michael's baby that day was driven by 67-year-old James Boothby, a retired antiques dealer. And the following are his own words. I was coming over Route 290 south about noon. I saw something in the air. I thought it was garbage, something somebody had tossed out. Then I thought it was a doll. And when I saw the doll open its mouth, I couldn't believe it. It was a little baby. James stopped his car, and then he used it to block traffic. He went over, and he found the child uninjured. The car seat was undamaged. And the state trooper later said, By the way, that car seat probably, once it hit the local news, rose in sales, I would assume, right? Right? The state trooper later said that the baby was all smiles and that the doctor gave him a good bill of health. He's a miracle baby. What a Mother's Day gift. That result was one in a million. What a miracle indeed. But friends, this Easter we have gathered to remember a greater miracle, the miracle of our Lord Jesus' Jesus' resurrection. What a gift Christ was for all of us, and he still is. And through his life, we have hope, we have purpose, we have eternal life. And as the old hymn we just sang said, because he lives, I too, no matter what I'm going through, no matter how dark my days may be, I too can face tomorrow. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today.